Well, 1 Timothy chapter 4 is giving the church some instruction, but in particular, the pastor instruction. And we saw that he said it's going to be a unique, difficult time in the last of the last days. Because doctrines of demons are going to be penetrating even into those who attend church. I don't believe they're true believers. But those who are attending church who really haven't trusted their lives to the Lord. And they're going to be swayed by these doctrines of demons. These teachers that are teaching these teachings are themselves hypocrites. They have a seared conscience. They're very legalistic and putting people into a legalistic condemnation, even though they themselves are not living it in truth. Themselves are saying they are, but they're not. And how do you have a solid church? He told Timothy, the key is to, yes, be teaching the word, but the real power for the church is the pastor himself living it that it's not simply doctrines we all agree on and then we go our way with no intentions of doing it. But the example of the leaders is a powerful thing. You know, I, I, Gail Irwin used to always say, I taught my kids how to eat properly with proper manners, but unfortunately they all eat like me. Um, and uh, I, I think that the example often is more powerful than than the teaching, what's caught, rather than what's taught. And so, Timothy is, yes, teaching the right things, but Paul said the power was them living the example out for them. And so tonight, we're looking at verses 11 through 16, and being that example, he goes on to say in verse 11, These things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attention to the reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them, that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So looking once again at verse 11 and 12, these things command and teach. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love, in spirit and faith and purity. Timothy was a young man. We don't know what that means. But in the Roman society and in the Jewish society, you couldn't even be considered a man till you were 30 and really taking any kind of position of authority till you were 40. So he was a teenager probably when Paul first met Timothy, probably in his 20s now, maybe in his early 30s. But either way, he wasn't being respected by the people as a leader. And as we learn about Timothy, he was not the type A personality uh, leader. He was more of a a passive personality person. And um, it's interesting that God called such a passive personality person to be an evangelist, 
uh, to tag around with Apostle Paul, who his whole job was showing up and talking about a Jesus no one had ever heard of before. And they're like, I never even heard that name. I don't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, I've met a Jew before, but what's that have to do with anything? Jesus was a Jew. And so Paul had to come and teach. Christ died for your sins and God's Holy Spirit ahead of time would convict men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And then he would tell them that Christ died for their sins. He was buried and rose again the third day. And so, Timothy, when you now are leading, you are there called by God. It doesn't matter that you're young. And, you know, throughout the scriptures, really throughout history, even secular history, often young men are called to fill big shoes. You know, and and God called little Samuel when he was not much more than a toddler. He called David when he was just a very young boy. And uh, we, we see many others. Daniel was a young man along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, in Babylon. Joseph, the guy with the coat of many colors, was a young man when he was a slave in Egypt and eventually became second in charge to Pharaoh. Jeremiah was a young man and, and felt that he was being disrespected because of his youth. So, you know what? The Lord calls when the Lord calls. And, um, you know, usually young men have a lot of young men difficulties, you know. Your, your view of life at 18 is a whole lot different than at 28, different again at 38, different again at 48, different again at 58. I mean, they're, they're, by living on planet Earth, um, life's experiences gives you a different view of life. But we learn in the book of Job, when Job's three very wise buddies were not hitting the mark, the young man that was with them said, I didn't think I had a, a position to talk because I'm young, but hearing how foolish you guys are, um, what I'm going to say is going to sound like a lot of wisdom. He didn't hit the mark either, but he was a lot closer than any three of those older wise men. So you need to get over yourself, Timothy. You're a young man, and that's that puts you in a difficult situation sometimes because you're having to be a leader and leading men twice your age. I can remember I started pastoring as a senior pastor when I was 24 and I looked like I was 16. And uh, I, I remember we had a news, a lady from the newspaper wanted to do an article on our church and on me. And, and at the time I was 27 and she thought I was 17 and, and she thought I was the pastor's son messing with her. And I'm like, yes, you know, what can I do? And she's like, well, you know, come on. When's your dad going to get here? I finally had to show her my driver's license that it was really me. So I, I looked very young until I was 30, and then I looked 80 after that. <laughs> but six years of pastoring can do that to you. But, um, yeah, it's, I remember a time when there was a 70-year-old man come in. And he was going through some issues, and, and he looked at me as if I were older than him. And I was, like, in my 20s. But because of the position I held as a pastor, he was looking up to me as a pastor and not as a young guy. He was like, hey, God's put you in this place, and I trust God's going to give you wisdom for me because of the position 
you're holding. And uh, it, was, it was quite intimidating at the time because this guy had been walking with the Lord twice as long as I had lived. And yet he, he was right. As he shared his heart, and we prayed. And I, I did that very thing that Paul's saying here. Don't let anyone despise the youth. He wasn't doing that. I was sort of doing that. And, um, and so again, God will speak. So stand up, be a leader, and lead, and teach, and be an example to these people. So a good minister, when we talk about commanding, I, I, I want to make it clear that Moses' example as a leader was the humblest man on earth. Jesus also was described in Matthew 11 as one lowly and gentle of heart, and people would find rest for their souls. So when Paul is saying be authoritative, it's, it's not bossing people around or, or, or being this uh, leader that's, you know, sort of telling everybody where they're failing and what they should do and, and they need to, you know, be more obedient and, and be a better Christian than they are. And this is often what you see in churches and people are like, yeah, I should pray more. Yeah, I should be more obedient. Yes, I'm, uh, you're right, pastor. Meet me up good. That, that's not the call. What would Timothy be commanding? He would be a good minister commanding from a loving heart, loving obedience. In 1 Thessalonians 4.1, Paul says there, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you've received from us how you ought to walk and please God. You hear this very encouraging command. Out of grace. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. So Timothy, in essence, was commanding them Jesus' commandments. So I'm going to instruct you to obey Jesus' commandments. What were those commandments? Jesus said, I just have two. And he tells us in Matthew 22, the one was to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second, very similar, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, sum up all of God's commands. All his law and ordinance are found in those two commands. So really, the only command we would give is to, to love. And if you love God, then you will keep his commandments, which is to love God. God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30, Jesus said, come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were just laying these religious burdens on them. And he said, I will give you rest. Take my yoke, which is a big giant block of wood they put on the back of oxen to steer them and lead them. So Jesus is taking my giant block of wood and put it on you. The one that's made for me, you put it on yourself. And what is it? To learn from me or to learn of me. For I am gentle and lowly of heart. You'll find rest for your souls.
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The command is simply, yes, you have a burden. (laughs) To seek God first, his kingdom and his righteousness, to get your eyes on the Lord. It's interesting having pastored for so many years. It's, it's interesting. You go through seasons in the church you didn't really think you would go through. Like I, I, would know, I know God would take us a se- through a season on end times and we'd talk a lot about the rapture and the signs of the times. We'd go through a season focused on marriage or the family. But yet I had more than once where we've gone through a season and virtually every sermon is basically get your eyes on Jesus. That's it. Gee, you sound like a broken record. I I know, and I I, I don't want to keep saying it, but the Lord has me keep saying it. Get your eyes on Jesus. and, And this is in essence what he's saying. Get your eyes on me. Get rid of all the other stuff. And here's the command. And, and go into all the world, Jesus said, and, and give my commandments to all men. What are those commandments? Just to love God and love one another. And that yoke, it is hard to love God because our flesh wants us to love ourselves. Our flesh wants us to love this world. Our flesh wants us to comfort our flesh with whatever it wants, entertainment or food or whatever it is. Give, you know, give my flesh. And, and no, we can't live for our flesh. We've got to live for this life in the spirit. And it, it simply comes down to this, to love God. So everything we do, coming here to church tonight, God wants you to come because you love him. If I were some millionaire and I'm, a year away from dying and my kids are showing up to visit me all the time. And I know it's because they're afraid they're going to get ridden out of the will. And I know that's their motivation. They're coming for dinner and coming for lunch and stopping by to see me simply because they want to be in my good graces so they don't get written out of the will. How do you, how do you think that would make me feel? It's like, yuck. I mean, I want them to come. I'm glad to spend time with them. But their motive is just made this last year of my life before I die. Yuck. Wouldn't it? Or if my wife were to say, Brian, I'm fed up with you. From now on, if I don't see these things in your life, I'm divorcing you. I want you to tell me at least five times a day you love me. I want flowers once a week. I want you to start helping with the housework. And I want you to spend more time with the kids. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I I don't want my wife to divorce me. And one Saturday, she has her friends over and they're having some tea and crumpets. She's English, I suppose, this hypothetical wife. (laughs) And uh, I go in and I'm doing the dishes and cleaning up the kitchen and and I, I walk in and say, I'm really sorry to uh, interrupt you guys, but honey, I just want to tell you I love you. And I go back into the kitchen. And then I'm helping with the kids. 
And then I go to buy her some flowers. And her friends are looking at her going, oh my goodness, you got the best husband in the world. But yet I'm doing all those things because I'm afraid she's gonna dump me. Can she really enjoy those flowers? Can she really receive those words? Do you you understand? And so in the same way, if we're here tonight because we're afraid God's gonna blackball us or we're afraid that we're gonna get written out of the will, so to speak, or we're afraid God's gonna cut us off, I suppose there's, there could be a real fear of the weakness of our flesh, and we know how painful it is when we live after the flesh as Christians, huh? Because we know how sweet it is to have a pure heart and, and to have a heart, you know, not divided, but just set upon the Lord only. And here we are dabbling in this stuff that we're ashamed of, that we're hiding. We hope it doesn't come out of the closet or whatever, and, and we're, we're miserable, and we don't really have a heart to want to read the Bible or pray or come to church. We're sort of, you know, fleshly, just sort of making ourselves limp along here. That's a miserable place to be. Anybody ever be there before? I mean, I think so. I think everybody's been there. Only Dave raised his hand, just so you guys at home know. <laughs> but all these other guys are just too uh, tired on a Wednesday night. We all, we all. If I were you, Dave, I would have, my hand would have been right next to you if I had said something. But, um, and so yes, with all authority, we need to command. But that command has to be pointing to Jesus out of one motive and one motive only, to love Jesus. So I'm beating my body into subjection because I want to be a good Christian. I want to, be disciplined. I want to be, no, it's really none of those things. It's simply, I know when I'm in the flesh, I am miserable. I feel the spirit grieving and I just, I'm just not experiencing that joy in the Lord. And I know that if I am grieved, God's grieved and, and we're just in a, in a miserable place rather than the joy of the Lord being my strength, I, I'm constantly in this valley of decision and I, do, I can't live there. I can't be there. I just want to love the Lord and then I also want to be free to not love myself but to love my fellow man. So a good pastor, a good minister will call the church to a loving obedience to Jesus in John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will be loved, love him and manifest myself to him. In John 14, 23 to 24, Jesus answered and said to them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. In 1 John 5, 3, for this is, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. That's it. I mean, that's really the truth, isn't it? God says, go to church. Don't forsake the gathering of the gathering. It's not a burden for me to come, Lord. When we look at the last chapter of the Old Testament, everything they did for God was a burden. 
we got to go up to Jerusalem. I, gotta, I hate that hill. It's so steep. And there's so many people there. And it's not as comfortable as my own house. And they, they hated going to worship. Before, they had a whole bunch of psalms, the Hillel songs. They, for miles in caravans, would be singing these praise songs. And they, they, the songs would get more intense as they got closer and closer to the temple area. And the time they got there, they had been worshiping for hours. And as far as the eye could see, was people streaming to come to Jerusalem to worship. And they joyfully brought their best sheep, their best animals to give to God as sacrifice. But now they're coming up. Nobody's singing. They're grumpy. They got a sheep that's blind, another one that has three legs. And, and, the, and the, priests are, the priests are going, yeah, fine with me. I don't care either. That's what was happening. Read the book of Malachi. And God just said, no more. I don't want it. I'm not, you can sing. I'm not going to listen. You can pray. I'm not going to listen. You can sacrifice. I don't receive it. 400 years of silence. Tell the voice of John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, yeah, when you're loving God, it's like, yes, giving financially or giving to serve one another or to disciple somebody or to share the Lord with somebody. All these things, they're they're, they're a joyful burden because of our flesh, we have to fight our flesh, right? (laughs) Everything's hard. I remember as a kid, you know, dishwashers were for rich people. So, you know, we all washed our dishes one at a time and put them out and dried them. And and then I'm asking my kids, do the dishes, which means simply put them in a dishwasher. But it was horrible. They're like, why don't you do dad? I'm like, it's too hard. So I have you doing it. It is hard. It's like you take your trash, you go to Mexico for a few months, Every day you got to take your trash out and you got to burn it and, you know, and get it all. It's like getting rid of your trash. It's like take somebody half a day. What do we do? We have these plastic bags. We wrap them up. You got to walk 10 feet and throw them in a trash can. But it's hard. Got to take out the trash. Oh, it's killing me. It's, it's just our flesh. Reading the Bible, oh, it's so hard, oh. The Bible's so heavy, it's just, it's just weird, isn't it? Yes, it's a burden, but it's a joyful burden. It's not, it's not burdensome. So with this in mind, command and teach. Two things, command and teach, to give the order, to give the charge, to give the direction, the instruction with authority, and then to teach with authority. This is why we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse of the Bible, to give the whole counsel of God. In Acts 20, verse 20, Timothy had actually saw Paul do this as the pastor of Ephesus. So this wasn't something that Timothy was unaware of. Timothy was with Paul because Paul was in Ephesus for three years and he pastored the church. And this is what Paul did while he was there. In Acts 20, verse 20, it says, How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but I proclaimed it to you, taught you publicly from house to house. And in chapter 20, verse 27, For I 
have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul said, I wrestled, I fought, I bit, I chewed, I got every verse and every truth and every doctrine. I got through it. And I did it house to house. I did it one-on-one. -on -one. I did it in groups. I did it in the daytime. I did it at night. I just kept on until you guys had the whole counsel of God. And so, Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. He told Titus the same thing in chapter 2, verse 15. Speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. In Titus' situation, it wasn't necessarily by youth. It was just sort of like, hey, you're not as good as Apostle Paul or you're not as good as Peter or Apollos. Whatever it was, whatever Titus' issue was, and it might have been youth as well. He's like, don't, don't let them do it. Stand up and lead and be a leader. It's hard to be a leader. Being a leader just means you're the first one to get the arrows shot into you. You're the first one to do the charge. You're the, you're the, you're the number one person that is responsible for all of the things that go wrong. It's not a thankful thing to be a leader, but God's rewards are great in heaven. And then he says, with this, be an example to the believers. Even though you're young in age and young in experience, God can make you mature as a seasoned Christian. And so you just need to live out your Christianity and they will see a 50-year-old mature guy in a 20-year-old body. This is very possible. God can make such things happen. Paul says to the Corinthian church when they were there, he says in 2 Corinthians 1.12, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. So Timothy had experienced Paul's pattern, traditions, the way he conducted himself to make it clear that Nothing they said or did or were a part of would stumble anyone. In specifics, be an example in, in six different ways. The word. I think this refers to probably his word of speaking. How is the language and the words he used? And so that he would not be a liar or angry or a gossip or self-promoting or with profane or sexual innuendos or improper coarse language, dirty jokes. In Ephesians 4, 29, he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what's good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. In Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. In Proverbs 12, 18, there is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. The pleasant words in Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Let your words be grace. Ah, oh, that's healing. Oh, that's sweet. Oh, that's kind. That's gracious. That's the kind of person that you want to be. When people see you, they're like, oh, there's a person I'll find comfort. There's a person I'll receive 
kindness around. And, and, and like Jesus, you know, we're gentle and lowly of heart and people find a rest for their souls. And that is hopefully the spirit that the leaders here at this church are betraying. And this is the spirit of what will happen in the church. And then in conduct, a young pastor, again, uh, needs to behave himself spiritually, mature, soberly, with dignity. We see David at a, as a young, young man, all of a sudden, after killing Goliath, being raised up quickly uh, as the general. They just sort of saw that, hey, God's hands on this very young man. And in 1 Samuel 18, 14, David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. And in 1 Samuel 18, 16, and all of Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. And so they saw this mature, dignified general in a man that was still probably a teenager at this time. And then be an example also in love. This is the word agape, which is a self-sacrificing love. In 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a point in your Christianity when you really start doing much of what you're doing as a Christian for others. I was a senior pastor for 33 years with a pastor's conference every year. And let me tell you, after you've been to about a decade of those things, you, you've really heard everything there is gonna, you're ever gonna hear. Uh, it's recycled and regurgitated and different people are doing it. But you, you just sort of get conferenced out. It's like, oh my God, one more conference and I'm gonna shoot myself. And then of course, I'd be asked to speak at pastor's conferences all over different places in the world. And so now, not only am I going to these things, I'm speaking at these things. And, and you realize, you know what? It, it's really not about me going to get anything out of anything. It's really about me going to make myself available to minister. And so in the same way, I'm going to church, not necessarily to learn something I didn't already know in the Bible. I've been taught First Timothy. Now this will be my 10th time. I don't think I'm going to hear anything new. But we're really coming to, to love on each other. How can I pray for you? What's God speaking to you? Tell me what's going on in your life that I can be encouraged myself from what God's doing in you and how I can encourage you in the Lord. And if we come with that spirit to wash one another's feet, to hug, not to be hugged, but to hug, not to be greeted and comforted, but to go and greet and comfort. If you have a group of people that everybody's coming, I, I tell people in premarital counseling, if you start taking, it's like an avalanche. <laughs> you know, you'll just get swept right away with it. But if you're just always trying to outgive each other, love each other, serve each other, then you'll have this thing that infinitely grows and gets better and better and better. 
It's the same in the church. If you come with the consumer mentality of what does it offer me, what did it do for me, then I I think there's going to be a finite limit to that. I, I think that the time people's kids are teenagers and they're out of the house, most people will say, I've heard it all. I've seen it all. I've sung it all. I've done it all. Outside of a few seasonal activities that the church can perform for me, and I'll show up for those. You guys do like a good Christmas uh, service, and I do like a good Easter service, and, you know, something that they have on one of the national holidays, I might enjoy that too. I'll check in on them and see what's going on to see what they can offer me. Then, then yeah, you're, you're, you're going to quickly see the church devol- dissolving. But yet, what happens if everybody comes to give and to serve and to love and, and to be concerned, not with themselves, but with others, praying for one another? What a beautiful thing this could be. And Jesus is saying that is what has made our time so powerful. I did not come to be served, but to serve. What happened here with me and these apostles? The whole time I was giving. I was getting up early. I was cooking. I was washing the feet. I was serving. I was breaking the bread for the multitudes. And, and you're looking at the, the dynamo and these 12 apostles and then the, six, then the 70 and the 500. What was the dynamo in that? It was Jesus' mentality I came to serve and serve until I gave my life for you guys. And he's saying right here in 1 John, this this is how we learned love. We saw it in Jesus. What did it look like? Him just laying his life down for us. That sacrificial, constant, loving lifestyle of serving. In Galatians 5.13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we're not under the law. God loves us. Our names are written in the book of life. The heaven issue is, is taken care of. We have our tickets and we're going there. So is that it? Is that all that I was wanting out of Christianity? Was a ticket to the big show in the sky, that was it? (laughs) I I hope not. I hope that it really was that you would be forgiven of your sins and the spirit of God would live in you. And now you would grow in the inner man in the spirit. And what's that look like? Just being a greater servant. Less about me and my wants and my desires and my needs and my flesh. And more about how can I build you up, strengthen you speak to you, hug you, love you. That's Christianity. So it's that person that's just a loving, kind, gracious person. Don't you just want to be around people full of grace and kindness? I I just love that. I love those kind of people. You're coming 10 minutes late and they're just like, yeah, forget it, who cares? So glad to see you. And you got other people going, well, I'm glad you're here, but the food's a little cold now. Come on in, you know. It's like, yeah, you know, you got to be around those kind of people. A lot of time they're, they're your family. <laughs> but, but really, you just want to be around kind, gracious people. Well, guess what? 
you start being that person. And you'll find that you're creating that kind of culture, that kind of society, a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, a love that never fails. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 13. So this love, he's saying, be an example of love. Command, teach. But, okay, command, teach. Don't let them despise your youth. But the big thing that's going to be the the fire to the engine of this thing is you showing them Jesus in your life. Be an example in, 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 in each and every way, in your words, in your conduct. But you be this amazing, loving person, this beacon of light to the whole world is that love. In John 13, 35, he said, and by this all will know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. It's not saying love the people in the world. They just see you loving on each other. If they see that, if they see you truly not trying to be a consumer and what can I get and how does it bless me and how does it serve me and how do I enjoy it and how do, what, you know, what are my wants? Are they being met? And that's not happening. But you're coming in here to, to not be hugged, but to hug and, and not to get your needs met, but to meet the needs of others. The world will see that, that genuine love and concern that God's Holy Spirit has put into your heart and you grow in that agape love, it will never fail. The whole world will come to know who truly is followers of Jesus when they see that Jesus love in you. And this is coming right from the Apostle John. This is why the multitudes came unto Jesus. In word, yes. In his conduct, yes. And in Jesus' love. And then he also says in the spirit. Boy, that could unleash a lot of things, but I think it's just talking about a humility, a warmth, and once again, a grace. In Psalms 27.4, we, we see that in spirit, David had a passion for God a passion to seek God. In Psalms 27, 4, one thing I've desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. In Psalms 84, 2, my soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. To be an example of a passionate spirit, just wanting to seek God. Also, I think, to be a person of the fruit of the Spirit. Love. The fruit singular of the Spirit is love. And what is in that basket of love? Joy, the number one thing. Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then a person of the Spirit and power, the gifts of the Spirit. Paul tells us that it's for each and every one of us, for the profit of all, should have a manifestation of the Spirit. 
He says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, and then also in verse 11, one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. That every one of us are to mature in Christ, be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then to have the gift of faith or the gift of word of knowledge or wisdom or prophecy or tongues, the interpretation of tongues, the gift of miracles, whatever it is. And then also to be an example in faith. Boy, that's again, so huge. But there the life of faith in the midst of our prayer life. I, I'll tell you what, I just love people that believe God. In our Calvary Chapel in San Diego, we had a large group of people. And, and because of how we say we're not Calvinists, we're not Arminius, we're somewhere in between. We're not Baptists, we're not Pentecostals, we're Bapticostals, we're somewhere in between. So we can have some real Pentecostal people in the church and some real Baptist people in the church, and they, they all love each other. Well, when I needed prayer, I went to the Pentecostals. <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted faith. I wanted them believing God for healings and miracles, not... Well, Lord, just help him in this time of need. Amen. You know, it's like, get out of here, man. I'm, I need healing. Give me, the, give me that gift of faith from those Pentecostals over there. And then also faith in trials. Boy, I, I think there's a real graciousness, you know, going through trials in a gracious, kind, trusting way. Paul there being beaten and imprisoned there in Philippi. He just starts worshiping and praising God. And then faith in, in speaking the word of God, that it, speak it in truth as it is the word of God and don't be ashamed of it. Don't apologize for it, but speak it the way it is. And then to be an example in purity, simply to have a moral excellence or a sexual purity. Boy, the city of Ephesus was a pagan, pagan city. As wicked as you can imagine and pretty much probably the way it is today in our culture, not too far from it. And it's hard in our culture today when every kind of sexual impurity is at your fingertips so easily. It's, it's being thrown in your face almost every channel of the TV, almost every billboard you drive by every magazine you look at, and of course, it's not even counting the internet and all the other things. To be pure in such an impure society is gonna take quite a feat. He tells Timothy in the very next chapter, a verse we'll look at next week, that in 1 Timothy 5.2, that all the older women to treat like moms and all the younger women to treat like sisters with all purity. In 2 Timothy 2.22, he says, flee youthful lust, run from it, like Joseph did, Potiphar's wife. Do you remember that? She's trying to drag that young boy with all those hormones going a million miles an hour. And, and you know, how he pulled away and ran, um, that, is, that is amazing. But he says, flee youthful lust, pursue. That word pursue, it's like an, a lion catching a gazelle. Chase after it till you grab it. Righteousness, faith, love, peace, 
with those who call on the Lord out of pure heart. It's an aggressive thing. You got to aggressively just let her have your jacket. <laughs> she rips your jacket off. Take my jacket. Throw it at her. Take off running. It's, it's an aggressive thing. And now you're, you're not just fleeing from the lust. You're now going to abide in righteousness. And he gives the list there, faith and love and peace. And, and as you get into that place of refuge, you find these others that have found that same refuge aggressively rip their way into that life. And you're like, yes. Like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the midst of Babylon, keeping a pure life, even in the midst of such a wicked place. Really, it, can be, it cannot be said better than Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. When the kids were small, we never had time to really watch TV. And if we did, it was some little cartoon they wanted to watch. But as the kids started getting into the junior high years, I took this verse and I printed it out and taped it on top of the TV. And the rule was they had to read that before they could turn the TV on. And um, in essence saying, you know, it's, it's amoral. I mean, the TV's not good, it's not bad. You could have a Billy Graham sermon on it or you could have the Playboy channel on it. I mean, the TV is amoral, whatever you put on it. But for us, it's gonna be something that is right here. Noble, wow, noble, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy. Wow, if we could just walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The lust, the flesh and the spirit fight against each other. And then it was a saying, Galatians 5, you don't do what you wish. What? It just depends on which one you're feeding the most, right? <laughs> if I'm being strengthened in the inner man, I can, I can tell you who's going to win the battle. If I'm feeding the flesh, and now the moment of decision comes, I shouldn't be surprised that I fell, right? And this is what he says. That it's a constant battle and unfortunately it doesn't carry into tomorrow each day you got to take on that day and and seek the lord first thing cry out to god get into the word meditate in it grow in it and um and then to, to be that person of an example well i think we're going to end right there tonight and we'll pick up next week in in verse 13 lord thank you for your word this evening Thank you for just going deep into our hearts and our minds. And Lord, as we are washed in your word, let us all, if there's any feeble knees, strengthen them. Any depressed hands hanging down, lift them up. 
I know there's so many that have been affected by this season of COVID and they don't even know it. They're struggling like they've never struggled with emotions and anxiety and depression and worry. There's many others that are just fighting temptations that they never thought they would fight before. And it's just having been stuck at home and idle hands and spending time feeding the flesh, not trying, just simply so much time and energy has been wasted and it's put us in a mindset that's so unhealthy. I'm sure a single guy like Timothy living in Ephesus would have been a very difficult place to be. But Lord, we come before you now and we ask in Jesus' name that your word would go forth. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You would strengthen us in our faith tonight through the word. You'd take the word and wash us in the water of the word. You'd cause just a deep, deep, deeper work of grace happening in us. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.